This is Mark Stein. After three years in COVID, Stan, it's time to get out of town. So join me on the 2023 Mark Stein cruise, sailing from Italy to Croatia, Montenegro, Greece, for a full week of sun, sea, and civilizational collapse. I'll have special guests from around the world, from America, Canada, Australia, Britain, Europe, and we'll do all the things you like about the Mark Stein Show and Stein Online, but close up and on water. More details at steinonline.com or marksteincruise.com. The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome to uh, the Mark Stein Club's live Q&A around the planet. And as you have guessed by now, by hearing my voice, there is a Zionist occupation of the chair and the mic. It is Laura Rosen Cohen, and I am delighted and honored to be joining you once again for this broadcast. As you know, uh, Mark is recovering from his heart attacks in France, and um we know that the only good thing to come out of that is that he's hospitalized in a place uh, that has unpasteurized cheese. That's really the only silver lining. But of course, we all wish Mark well. Um, we hope that he is still surrounded by hot French nurses in tight uniforms, etc. Um, we hope he is doing all right. And then the regular substitute, uh, the regular guest host, you know, for Mark, uh, the, the great Andrew Lawton. Uh, was meant to be broadcasting today, but uh, we think that he really overdid it in Davos. He had a few too many cricket burgers, a few too many bug cocktails, and um, he is a little bit under the weather as well. So you have the uh, guest host for the guest host once again. So I hope to be able to answer as many of your questions as possible. Uh, there's certainly a lot to talk about. I am broadcasting to you live from my perch in Southern Ontario. It is Friday, January the 27th. It's a little after three Eastern Standard Time, and uh, I have a good two hours before the Jewish Sabbath, so I am going to be with you till uh, four or a few minutes after. Um, we'll get to your questions uh, in a couple minutes. Um, definitely a lot of interesting stuff going on right now in the news and in the cycle. And um, we've already got a few really good questions. Um, as I say, uh, this is a really wonderful place to be. I'm really honored to be at this mic. The Mark Stein Club is actually, you know how Groucho Mark said that uh, he wouldn't want to be a part of any club that would have him as a member. So anyways, I'm a member and uh, a broadcaster and a writer for Mark Stein. This is really the only club on earth that I would want to be <laughs> a member of. So uh, glad to be with you all. 
Um, let's start off with what I think is probably the biggest uh, bombshell um, of the week so far. Uh, the week's not over, but I'm sure you guys have all taken a peek at the Project Veritas uh, undercover video release of the Pfizer scientist. Um, if you guys haven't, I'd highly recommend you taking a look. Um, you know, James O'Keefe, the Project Veritas people do all kinds of incredible investigative work. And this is, of course, the work that used to be done by regular journalists at regular mainstream news organizations. But of course, we cannot count on them anymore to do to do the work. Uh, to find things out, to research and expose. They're much more into the silencing game. So Project Veritas has had bombshell after bombshell, and really they get these incredible scoops, um, partly because they encourage people to speak up and be courageous and come forward if they have information or stories that need to be told, uh, whistleblowers, etc., and partly because they um, really, I think a lot of the strategy is honey trap. I think that they find people who clearly have interesting and salacious um, and important stories to tell or about the work that they do. And they dig a lot into these people. They probably check all their social media profiles, their LinkedIn, etc., find out what they're into and get the people um, who um, approach them and in various social situations, they get the conversation and the, the juices, the information flowing. So there's been um, this guy from Pfizer, uh, an, R an mRNA vaccine scientist who is on video talking about how basically how evil and horrendous and terrible Pfizer is and their plans to... Um, invent basically um, new viruses, you know, invent the vaccine and the new viruses. They want to dabble in um, what we know, you know, also euphemistically as gain of function research, which gain of function just means you gain more death function. You gain more murderous function out of a virus. Nobody's supposed to be dabbling in this. Of course, we know that a lot of Western um, scientists and granting agencies, <coughs> Fauci, <coughs> Fauci, uh, were involved in this with the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and that's how we got to this COVID um, pandemic. Um, now they're rebranding gain of function because people started to get wise to that, and they're calling it uh, controlled evolution. It's really nasty stuff, and it's really dangerous. So I'm sure that we're going to have some questions come up about that, and I'll be happy to give you uh, my thoughts as I can. Um, the other thing we should probably spend some time on, especially for our American listeners, is this terrible story of br uh, police brutality um, from Memphis, Tennessee. Um, it's it's just so awful. Um, I, I, as a Canadian, I feel like it's not necessarily my place to be um, wading into the incredibly um, difficult race um stories and race issues in the United States. So I, I'm kind of looking at it more as um, an observer of, of human brutality and behavior. But again, if you don't know about this story, um, take a look on the news and we can try to answer some questions about it. Um, a, a black uh, driver was pulled over by black police officers. He was uh, mercilessly beaten uh, it's extremely brutal and apparently, and he he died as a result of these horrendous injuries. 
Um, and as a result, they are going to be releasing footage of the entire episode, this murderous um, incident, I think today at six o'clock Eastern time and um, the Memphis police force is bracing for riots um, that they think might be akin to the Rodney King riots. I mean, let's all pray that that does not happen. This is um, black police on a black um, motorist. The, the victim is black. It's it's really a disaster. It's really sad. So I think um, we won't go into too much detail right now. If you have specific questions or issues that you want to um, discuss relating to that, we can get to it. And I think, you know, there will be other questions where we circle back to to human evil and human brutality. Um, yeah, human evil and human brutality. This is this is just like a sunshine afternoon, right? So I'm I'm here for it. You're here for it. Let's get into some of your questions. And um, I am also going to try, as always, to enunciate and articulate. As you know, I'm your in-house Jewish mother. It, it's a low-tech setup with a relatively highly functioning brain. So hopefully, uh, we've got we've got it right now. So let's take a peek. We have a question from Elisa Angel, who says, Laura, do you suppose the footage of Paul Pelosi, quote, getting hammered is being released today to distract us from something else? As awful as it is to see Paul Pelosi knocked unconscious with a hammer, should we bother wasting energy feeling sorry for him or his wife? And shouldn't we be furious about the cover-up related to Paul Pelosi's attack that tried to blame, quote, right-wing Trump supporters when the Pelosi's certainly knew that wasn't the case? Why is this footage being released today? Is it because it's a Friday and they hope it might be buried over the weekend or is it a distraction from something else? And then Alyssa notes as a follow-up, do you think the Paul Pelosi footage is meant to distract us from America sending a battalion of tanks to Ukraine? And what do I think of the United States uh, sending tanks to Ukraine? <clears throat> wow. <clears throat> Excuse me. Alyssa, that's, there is a lot of meat on the bones of that question. Um, let's start with uh, why is it being released today, this footage? It, it, it is disturbing footage. It's really, really weird stuff, too, if you watch the video. Um, and if you recall, at the time when it happened, um, we got the big shut up. There's nothing to see here. Don't talk about this. No questions should be asked. Please respect our privacy. There's nothing to see here, yada, yada. And now, <clears throat> all of a sudden, there's video and we're sort of allowed to discuss it. So I think the idea is, and I think Mark mentions this a lot, is that you really always have to pay attention to what you're not supposed to be talking about and when, you know, the timing is an issue as well. But there's always a reason why there's media silence on something. We know the mainstream media likes to bury the storage stories that are damaging to the left. They're all about the power and all about the narrative control. And of course, they work hand in hand with the social media companies to silence and bury stories um, that are uncomfortable to the left. So it is possible that that footage is being released now as a Friday afternoon news dump, let's forget about it, and like an oh squirrel, like look over there kind of thing. Um, in which case, we probably won't know for a little while what the other real issue is that they're trying to distract from. 
I don't think it's the Ukrainian tank thing. I mean, my, basically my feeling about the about sending so much stuff and money and tanks and ammo and everything to Ukraine, my my opinion hasn't changed. I think it's insane. I think it's insane that a time where America is going off the cliff, the republic is coming to an end, my American friends, and you have this cadaverous meathead in your White House with this ghostly staff of operatives sending all of your hard-earned money to a corrupt little Ukrainian midget. Why? Why? Um, you know, as Neil Oliver, Mark's GB News colleague said, this is happening because it's the easiest explanation is that somebody, the people in charge, want it to happen. So I think it's ridiculous. And when this whole Russia invasion thing started and everybody was choosing their sides and, oh, Russia, 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 and putting Ukrainian flags in their social media profiles and virtue signaling, etc., my feeling was is that I choose not to root for either of these sides. Uh, and I think I was right. I think I said at the time that I obviously do not agree with Russia invading countries. But at the same time, it's hard to be an enthusiastic cheerleader for for Ukraine, given their history. And given how much we know about the grift situation that happened and is obviously currently happening um, with the Biden family. So there's no good side to root for. And I think it's just incredibly insane and corrupt and, and disgusting that so much money that you guys don't really have, like unless you're like printing it, you know, print money stat. Um, it's really insane. So I think maybe just keep our eyes on the stories that are filtering out in the next few days. It is possible that there's a distraction going on with the Paul Pelosi footage. Um, should we feel sorry for Paul Pelosi and Nancy Pelosi? No, no, we shouldn't. These are highly corrupt people who've made fortunes off the backs of uh, their fellow citizens. They have zero conscience. Uh, no, we don't have to feel sorry for bad people. They they want to destroy the good people. <clears throat> so save your sympathy for causes that are more deserving, in my view. Thank you for that, Elisa. Let's see. Uh, we have a question now from Eric Dale. Eric, I have to say I'm a bit offended that you did not refer to me as queen of the mic or any such other regal reference. Uh, we'll have to discuss that some other time. Uh, normally, Eric refers to me as some kind of um, royalty, um, but uh, we'll forgive him this time. Anyways, Eric's question is, oh, it's more Ukraine and Russia. Uh, okay. What are your thoughts on the Russia-Ukraine war? <clears throat> I think it's insane. I will repeat that. Um, Eric mentions the Nordstrom pipeline explosion. It remains unsolved. And both Germany and the U.S. have now pledged to provide tanks, blah, blah, blah. And I think Eric suggests that this may be um, a replay of the Iran-Iraq war when America supported Saddam's Iraq in an eight-year stalemate with Iran. Um, it's possible uh, it, it, it's a very bad situation. The Iran-Iraq war was uh, obviously just such a disaster. There was so much human carnage. It was Muslim against Muslim. Um, no no great winners there, no great side to root for. Um, so I've already discussed the my feelings about the Russia-Ukraine war. Um, the pipeline explosion remaining unsolved, I don't really think it's unsolved. I think that there's... Um, 
my gut feeling is that it was an inside job. Um, if that makes me a conspiracy theorist, so be it. But the more I hear and the more I think about it, it seems to me like the perpetrators uh, might be Americans. And maybe it came, those orders came at the behest of the uh, Biden administration. It would not surprise me. There's just a lot of things that we don't know when the perpetrators are clearly um, insiders. I mean, there's footage, you know, from January 6th. Um, what's it called? Darren Beatty. Um, I forget. Revolver News. You know, they've discussed how the FBI is holding back footage um, of the pipe bomber, you know, certain angles where it would have been really easy to see exactly where and perhaps the face of the of the person who laid the pipe bombs on January 6th. So like they really think we're stupid that we can't kind of put two and two together. So that's my thought on the Nordstrom pipeline. I think it's solved. I think we can, I, I would pretty confidently say that it was a, an American job. Um, there's probably very little in terms of paper trail or document trail on that, but that, that would be my bet. Um, I think it's a safe bet. Thank you, Eric, for that question. Let us go to, uh, let's see who we've got here. Stephen Davis. Stephen says, given the precedent of totalitarian lockdowns of the free world, he puts that in quotes, the free world, under COVID, coupled with free money, yes, free again in quotation marks, add in the stress of Russia's war and its results, etc. What do you think the prospects are that the next crisis will usher in the collapse of the European democratic socialist model? Thank you. Um, that's an interesting question. Thank you, Stephen. I think that we've seen, um, you know, all over the world, these uh, incredibly um, ferocious attacks on democratic norms, on freedom, on liberty, um, on all the freedoms that we hold dear, freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, freedom of um, bodily autonomy. Um, and I think that it was trial balloons. I think that these power hungry, awful people, the communists, the, the, the communist light leaders that we had in places like Canada with Justin Trudeau and now just, and Jacinda Ardern, he, she just resigned obviously, but the same thing. And Australia was just like an insane asylum. So I think that those were trial balloons. They wanted to see um, you know, how, how much the population could be beaten down, how much misery could be inflicted, how many rules we would follow. And I think it was a test case. And I think it was um, pretty successful in beating a lot of us down. I think I've mentioned before, I don't really know any, anybody who hasn't suffered the breakup of a friendship, the ruining of um, a relationship uh, with a family member or friend, somebody who lost their business, lost their job, somebody who became quite ill either because of the vaccines or as a result of uh, medical care being withheld or rationed under all these different rules and regulations. So I, I'm not sure if it's just going to be a problem, you know, for, for European socialist type of countries. Um, it's, it's a problem for us all. And in fact, the weird thing is, and, and Mark has pointed this out in the past as well, the really weird thing is, is that some of these um, socialist countries, I think, did better than us, um, which is something I never really thought I would heard hear myself say. Like Sweden is this really kooky, egalitarian, socialist um, type of place. 
and they were much more sensible than so many other places in in the West. And even in terms of the vaccine and not giving it to certain populations, I think Denmark was ahead of us and a lot of other places showed so much more sense. Um, so I think uh, it was essentially trial balloons of many things. I mean, even biological weapons. It was how how are these countries going to mobilize? It was a trial balloon to see how much our economies could be wrecked, to see what the damage would be, how our children could be destroyed. I mean, in, in every single way. Um, and lots of people were making notes. You know, it's not just the social media companies that were keeping tabs on us or our own governments that were keeping tabs on us. The Chinese government the Chinese are looking very closely and analyzing and doing a, a post-mortem on what happened with all their um, models of behavior and policy. Uh, you know, just remember that. So I think, um, I hope I've answered that. I think there's always going to be another crisis. You know, it was um, Rahm Emanuel, I think, who said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, and he, I think he was riffing on um, Saul Alinsky, the horrible radical communist jerk so these people there's no there's no um end to it you have to understand that if you think that we got over covid and now we're going to go back to either new normal or some kind of normalcy and we're done with this thing there's always going to be another thing so everybody has to stay vigilant and stay alert and stay aware thank you uh steven for that uh, question Okay, we are going to go to uh, Jeff B, who writes to us, have you noticed how suddenly gas stoves are the enemy that seem to come on suddenly out of the blue? Is this just a distraction to keep us arguing about stupid stuff? Or do you think there's more behind it? Um, that's a really good point. I I have a gas stove. I love my gas stove. I like it better than any electric stove that I've ever had. Um, and I think most people would argue that the food tastes better cooked on a gas stove. Happy to thrash that out in the comments with you if you would like. It really did come out of out of the blue. It really did come out of nowhere. Um, and I think that it's a combination of those things. I think that these things, again, are sent out as trial balloons. They try to see how much hysteria they can generate. They try to measure it. They try to fine tune the messages. Um, then people sometimes have enough gumption to say like, hell no, like over my dead body. No, not my gas stove. Um, and then they retreat. So if you push back, there usually is a retreat. Um, I, I guess it's possible that it is some way connected to obviously the energy shortages and the fact that gas is one of those commodities that is um, in short supply, for sure in Europe, um, and it is a Russian possession and it makes other nations vulnerable so maybe the idea was to get people weaned off of a gas stove or gas appliances or gas heating precisely because they've mucked up the situation with the supply um pipelines in america have been destroyed north america being destroyed or not expanded um and having to rely on russia has put these poser uh, European politicians in a difficult position. So it could be a combination of all those things. Um, I think the main lesson for, for this particular episode, though, is pushing back is important. 
um, and that they're always going to try new stuff. They always have new things up their sleeve. So don't, don't hit the snooze button. Um, let's see. Oh dear. Um, there is breaking news about an attack at a synagogue in Jerusalem, um, with seven or eight dead. This is a comment from Mary B and all the usual suspects are now celebrating from Gaza, Nabulus and Janine. When will this end? So, um, Mary, thank you for bringing that to my attention. I actually did not hear about this. It is, uh, uh, it's quite late in Israel now. It's uh, seven hours ahead of us, so it's 10, 10 something at night. Um, and that is horrifying. Um, I will try to get some more information as we go through. Um, of course, they're celebrating in Gaza. There, there's a, a real bloodlust problem there. There's a real problem with the Palestinian, quote, culture. Um, and if it weren't for Jew hatred, they would really not have anything to live for. So this is terribly, um, upsetting and terribly awful. Um, when will this end? That's a really good question. And there's, uh, I have some thoughts about that. Obviously it's so big of a topic, but it has to end when, um, murdering Jews is not the highest, um, priority of the Palestinian people. Um, you know, Churchill once said of the IRA, in order to have progress, in order to have peace at some point, he said, um, stop killing, start talking. It was like the forward explanation. And really, it's not, um, I personally don't think that it's like a real estate problem. It's not a problem of the land, although a lot of people would like to see you frame it that way. There is um, a very serious religious conflict between um, Islam and let's say, let's say Palestinian Islamism, because there are other places in the Muslim world where, um, there is now peace with Israel, with the Jewish state, but the, the particulars of the Palestinian cultures mixed with this, um, violent, um, form of, um, Islam among the Palestinians, it's, it's quite awful. And, um, I, I don't think that there's like a, a, a quick fix for it. They have to stop teaching their children that murdering Jews is, is a, a wonderful good thing. They have to eliminate the culture of martyrdom. There's a lot of steps that have to be taken. And um, I don't think that it's impossible. I think it's a long, long way away. Um, and Palestinians who are interested in peace, interested in having friendships with Jews, cooperation with Jews, they get murdered. So, you know, that has to stop. So um, we will look into this um, a little bit later, perhaps in the broadcast. And thank you, Mary B, for bringing that uh, to my attention. Let us move along. It is uh, 325. We've got still a good little while with you guys. Um, <clears throat> John and I'm going to muck up your last name. I know you told me how to pronounce it last time. I think you like spelled it out for me literally. And now I'm having like a mom brain moment. So John writes to us and says, welcome back. Please expound upon the Kanye West perception of the Jews as the oppressor. Is there a theory within Jewish culture to explain this? Is it historical ignorance? Is it gaslighting? As an outsider, I find it impossible to comprehend. It is, is it an admission of the power of God and a form of jealousy? 
outside of straight up horse manure, is there a way to understand this perception of a culture that has been fighting for its life for most of it, for most of 6,000 to 10,000 years? Um, thank you, John, for the very Jewy question. <laughs> I feel like I'm more in my element now with some of the Jewish stuff and the anti-Semitism stuff. Um, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. I think that anti-Semitism is, you know, the world's oldest hatred. And I don't think that there's going to be any eliminating anti-Semitism. It, it's a very dark part of the human psyche. And you never see joyful anti-Semites. There's really, when, when people have Jew hatred in their soul, it poisons them. It says very little about the Jews. No matter what they, what they say and how they trash talk Jews, we're just going to carry on doing our thing and living our lives and being Jewish. And we've outlasted and outsurvived so many other cultures and people. And it just, it destroys the human spirit. That is the thing. So I think with some cultures, you know, it's, and, and with people, right? Like if you see really angry people or angry managers, I'm sure everybody's had like an angry manager or an angry colleague. And I find that the anger uh, is often a projection because really happy people, people who've made a good life for themselves, who are satisfied with their lot, no matter how big or small it is, they don't victimize other people in that way. So it takes a very big person and a, and a courageous person to say like, I've made some bad decisions in my life. I'm at fault here. Um, not that guy who I work with or not my employee or not my friend. I am a problem. And then if you are the problem to try to fix it and try to remedy it. So um, there are, I think, things that um, non-Jews can look into Jewish culture and legitimately be jealous of. Maybe jealous is not the word, but, you know, Jews have a very solid culture of family of um, respect for and, and a healthy attitude to having children and having a family and to celebrating like our whole thing when you make a toast it's l'chaim to life it's a life loving culture so if you're not life loving in a micro sense or in a macro sense then you're going to be pretty angry that there are people going out there and being themselves and loving life I think that has a lot to do with it and so, yes, there's jealousy. There's a lot of misunderstanding of Jewish texts and Jewish attitudes. Um, and again, I think I mentioned this on a previous Q&A. There's so many people who legitimately have never um, actually met a Jewish person before. Um, I can tell you, I'm not sure if I've relayed this story, but when my family was one time um, en route to Israel, we went through Rome and we were walking around the Vatican I'll try to make this story very short, but we bumped into um, a, a, a young man from America who was studying to be a priest and struck up conversation with him, very pleasant. And when he found out that we were going to Israel, he was like, he's really blown away. And um, we didn't know how to get the bus tickets for the for the, for the the transit to get back to the, air, the airport. We were just um, stopping over. And he insisted on um, giving us bus tickets and he would not take any money from us. And we said that in return, we would obviously pray for him in Jerusalem. And um, what was interesting was that he told me that he 
hadn't really had that much experience with the Old Testament. And then I introduced ourselves, our, our family, and the last name, of course, is Cohen. And I asked him if he knew that Cohen is a priest. And he said, oh, I, I guess, you know, that sounds familiar. And I said, oh, well, priests as in, do you know who the original priests were? They were um, Moses, we call Moshe, and Aaron, Aaron. They were the original Kohanim and that there's genetic tests that have been done that are on the Y chromosome that actually link all these various Kohens, Kohanim, from all over the world to like a single ancestor. And he just, he looked at me like, like I, like he had seen a ghost, like he literally had not ever considered that and considered the lineage. And I thought to myself, wow, like, first of all, it was, he was blown away. It was very um, amusing for us. And it was, I felt good to be able to like elucidate that as well. But, um, you know, if you think about it, this is somebody who his primary mission in life is, is Christianity. And he had so little familiarity with, with the old testaments and the antecedents of, of Christianity, which of course, um, is Judaism. So I think there's some ignorance too. Um, yeah, I think those are the main things, probably a little bit of ignorance. And the other thing is that, you know, anti-Semitism is so malleable, whatever period of time you're in, um, there's a projection with the Jews. So if it's communism that reigns supreme, then the Jews are too capitalist. And if it's, do you know what I'm saying? It, whatever, whatever the villainous thing needs to be, that rule is fulfilled um, by Jews. Um, and I think what I would like to warn Americans of in particular is that, again, it, it never goes well for societies that are having anti-Semitic waves who um, don't do anything about anti-Semitic politicians, anti-Semitic violence. It starts with the Jews, but that is the sign of a very, very bad sickness within the society. Uh, it, it never ends well. Um, so particularly in America, you guys should be really taking a look at what's happening um, in New York, um, in California, where there are large Jewish communities. Um, these are warning signs about the viability of civilization, meaning civilized culture and the ability to live in a civilized manner. That That is at risk. So it's a really big warning signal. And I hope you guys, um, I hope any Jews who are still living in <laughs> New York and California realize where this is headed. A lot have fled to Florida already, obviously. Um, but, you know, it's very troubling that there are a limited number of places in America where Jews are safe. Um, in Yiddish, America was called the Golden and Medina, the golden, the country, the this, and it's so uh, heartbreaking to think of an anti-Semitic deterioration in America of all places. Um, so Kanye is an ignorant you know, clearly mentally ill guy, but the, the archetype of anti-Semitic behavior, it, it remains the same. So it doesn't really matter if it's Kanye or, or other people. Um, I hope that answers uh, a little bit of it. It's a really big topic, obviously. Um, but thank you for the question. I am going to take a short sip of water. Um, and then we will get to Eric Redman. Let's see. Oh, right. This story. Yeah. So uh, Eric Redman says, only 63 months ago, a Cretan in a truck raced down a Hudson River bike path, killing eight human beings, including six tourists. Yesterday, a Manhattan jury found the perp 
who said he was, quote, inspired by Islamic State videos and that he chose a truck to inflict maximum damage against civilians guilty on all 28 counts. Back in the glory days of what was internationally respected American jurisprudence, wasn't it said that justice delayed is justice denied? Stand by for sentencing as the Biden Department of Justice intervenes. Um, thank you, Eric, for that question. I did, I did see that in the news, and sadly, it didn't really even reverberate with me anymore because just the points that you've described, it's like a big yawn. It's a big snore fest for the American justice system. And for those of you who don't remember the story or whatever, so this is another one of the, the best and brightest coming to your shores in America. Um, and actually, you know what? It also makes my point that the things that start with the Jews never end with the Jews. And this vehicular murders uh, like truck jihad and car jihad that that started that was like a Palestinian invention that started in Israel and like who thought that it would not go overseas like all of these terror inventions that start with Jews get exported and fine-tuned maybe on Jews in Israel or or in synagogues around the world and then, then they're used on other people and in other civilized places. So you always have to pay very close attention to what is happening in Israel and what is first being tried on the Jews. So um, basically, I'm sort of, uh, I don't want to say bored by these stories because it's not really that. I just don't see the outrage that should be required of such a murderous rampage. And the outrage that this type of person is able to land in America and obviously get social benefits or start a life. Nobody cares. Nobody's interested how he got there, what his background is. And then you have at the northern border of America, like during COVID and even still now, I have one kid, my special needs son, who did not get the vaccine. He's still not allowed to fly into America. So it's really crazy and sinister stuff. The things that the, the things uh, that there are rules about and enforced are for civilized, um, law-abiding, harmless people like my mentally disabled son. And then the gates open and murderous. Uh, where was he from? Like Uzbekistan or something? You know, welcome to America, where you can come and kill people. Um, so yeah, I suspect whatever sentence he gets, um, guilty on all counts, he'll probably get like four hours in jail and then a movie deal. And then he will probably, um, run for Congress. Yes, there we go. Uh, let's see. We have some CanCon Canadian content now from Joe, Joe Patterson. Joe Patterson asks us, Laura, what is your take on Justin being recently beset by some angry protesters? It appears that as the old line goes, some folks are mad as hell and aren't going to take it anymore. Look forward each week to your Laura's links. Best wishes for Mark's continued recovery. Thank you for the Trudeau question. Thank you for the opportunity to dump on our prime minister hairdo. Seriously, one day I think I should write an expose of Justin Trudeau's hair pieces. So they've pulled out the short hair toupee um, and he's heavily Botoxed and he has the whole moisture than oyster thing going on. But anyways, our 
Prime Minister Justin Trudeau had a cabinet retreat in Hamilton, Ontario. That is actually our late Kathy Shadle's hometown. It's a steel town, working class, about 45 minutes away from Toronto, uh, like halfway to Niagara Falls. And Hamiltonians were not very happy to see Justin Trudeau. There were a lot of protests. Um, he was booed, hissed. It was not a good scene. And of course, in his own sort of psychopathic way, he Justin Trudeau was filmed, you know, just waving to this angry mob and smiling, like pretending that all the people out there were fans, which is so ridiculous. But I think he just doesn't live in reality sometimes. He's such a petulant punitive, awful, substitute drama, mammy singing, black-faced hairdo guy. So yeah, people are mad. Um, mad as hell and aren't going to take it anymore. I mean, I I guess, like, maybe he'll take some inspiration from Jacinda Ardern and resign. He should, but I, I think he's too egocentric to do that. And I think he has, like, a real hardcore of eager, um, power-drunk, dummy, um, idiot surrounding him, telling him how wonderful he is, you know, just like Michael Jackson's plastic surgery guys. Oh no, get another nose job. You look great. And everybody around is like, yeah, yeah. Now, now do your chin. Now do your cheeks. Now, now bleach your skin, Michael. You look wonderful. So probably Trudeau is surrounded by all of that. Um, unfortunately, you know, Canadians elected him again, we have a divided country and he has a minority government, which and his grasp on power has been solidified by making an alliance with the far left wing uh, party, the NDP. So the only things here in Canada that can get the guy out would be a, a, a non-confidence vote. I don't think that's going to happen because they just want to milk the Canadian taxpayers. There's so much grift. There's so much corruption uh, the liberals, Ezra Levant coined the term the Libranos for the Canadian liberals. And so I don't think he's going to go anywhere. Um, he would probably do well to retire just like Jacinda <clears throat> before lawsuits and more trials uh, about the COVID era. Uh, but I don't think he's going anywhere. Yeah, people are still really mad. But again, uh, minority government, he got elected a second time. So I don't know, you get what you vote for, right? Had a little water break. Oh, okay, let's move along. Um, Simon Arnold has a question, a comment about what Mark has called the bepinist women. This is so we're on trans issues now. And let's see what uh, Simon wants to ask us. Hi, Laura. The bepinist woman sent to jail for men is a victory for people in Scotland. I don't think there is any way the current ideology in the Scottish Parliament can be accepted because it is immoral equality agenda. They all seem to have signed up for that agenda of bepinist women. Do you think the Scottish government have at last woken up realizing they cannot win? So uh, this is a story of a uh, a man, a violent man with a penis who is a rapist. Um, and I think right about the time where he was supposed to go into jail, he announced that he was actually a female and, um, grew some nails, wore pink and wanted to go into, um, a female prison. And the Scottish people were not super happy about this, as you can imagine. 
but it's not the first time that bepenist men uh, are being sent to women's prison where rapes and pregnancies, duh, ensue. So there was a bit of a rebellion and Scotland's gone really kooky. Like they've really kind of gone all in on this gender uh, cult and trans and gender cult identity stuff. Uh, there was a rebellion and so the bepenist woman, man, rape man is uh, going to have to go to a men's prison. Now, I'm not sure how popular um, he will be in the men's prison. Um, maybe maybe there's I, I've I understand that there is still some pecking order in prisons, you know, where uh, child murderers get murdered. So maybe uh, there will be some men who will um, deal with this this rapist guy. Do I think that the Scottish government has woken up realizing they can't win? No, I don't think so. For them, this is probably just a blip. Um, I think they probably have a few other tricks up their sleeve. I think they're pretty committed to this crazy stuff. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on there about hate speech as well. So I think that they're all in. And I would liken it to the gas stove thing in North America. Uh, they tried it got a little pushback, didn't work, but there's never going to be a moment where they say, okay, you know what? Normal human beings, you're right. We're going to give this up. It's just not going to happen. These are really damaged um, people and they want to completely disrupt the nuclear family, um, damaged children. They're predatory. They're quite evil. And actually I was going to mention that I saw an interesting, um, comment about this particular uh, angle, the prison angle uh, from somebody, a feminist on Twitter. Uh, I will include it in next week's links because it was really quite astute. And so there was somebody who was sort of puzzled by, you know, this keeps happening, you know, uh, men who suddenly identify as women, be penist men identifying as women in order to access um, female jails. And why do does this keep happening? And why, despite the fact that women are getting raped or beaten by a male um, prisoner, a male in, in a women's prison, does it go on? Surely there should be some recognition that this is actually not so smart. And this um, feminist commenter said that the reason why it's going on is because if they do not defend the quote right of the trans, like this bepenist man to pretend that he's a woman, then none of this identity stuff holds any water. It's like, it's indefensible as it is, but do you see the logic? If they concede that a man is a man and that man with his rapey penis is in the women's prison, then how can you make a case for anybody identifying as something else? It's not real. So this is the reality check that they are rebelling against. So I thought that that was a very simple and clever commentary about the, the particulars of um, women being victimized in prison by bepenist men. And it is kind of like the cards coming out of the house of cards. So interesting thought. And I think you will find that those people who are on the extreme of the trans ideology are going to be the ones who are defending the, the quote, right of these men to be in the women's spaces. And it's the same with gyms. You know, again, if you concede that they ought not to be there because there is such a thing as biology, then 
the whole house of cards falls down. Um, so thank you, Simon, for bringing up um, Scotland and for the crazy stuff that is going on there. And uh, I apologize also for mangling um, the name of the Scottish Parliament uh, when it was last week or the week before. I did not know the name of it. So thank you for uh, educating me, something I didn't know. I'm happy to learn new things um, every day. Let's see what else we've got here. And I need also a little bit of water. Uh, you know, it's funny when I was a listener to Rush, uh, and even when Mark would guest host the Rush Limbo show, Limbo show, I remember, I don't know if this ever happened to you guys, but like the commentary was so good that did you guys ever get irritated when there was like a commercial break? You were like, what? We just had a commercial or, you know, one of the funny skits and stuff like that, or there was a break. I'd be like, what, you know, this, this happened, this went too fast. And, um, it's really funny because when you're actually sitting here and sort of talking to yourself, but knowing that you're talking to a lot of other people, um, you realize how it's a little harder than, than just listening to a stream and um, you do get a little parched. So I have no idea how these guys were doing it for three hours. I'm uh, like on, what are we now? 3.47 and uh, I'm parched and it's just little old me with my uh, low tech setup. So I'm gonna have some water and then we have a few other good ones that we're going to get to. All right, let's see. Uh, we've got Matt from upstate New York. Hello, Matt. Hi, Laura. I agree that the trans agenda is anti-woman and anti-gay. The former, I think, is more obvious to many people, especially with all the male athletes deciding to compete as women. How do we convince gay family and friends that trans is anti-gay as well? <clears throat> that Thank you, Matt, for that question. Um, so I think that you're right. It's more obvious in sport that the trans ideology is anti-women because we can see women being brutalized sometimes. And also just that the male body is so much more powerful than a woman's body. Um, so it's, it's literally right in front of our lying eyes. So it is much harder to make a case for these quote women, you know, who are six feet tall, broad shoulders with their meat and two veg dangling, um, you know, standing beside five foot women athletes. It, it, it's preposterous and you can see it. It's visual. We don't need to have anybody listen. Um, we don't have to try to tell people it's right in front of you. So it's physical proof. So there is an advantage in that. And it certainly is like really anti-gay. And there's a number of commenters who talk about this. Um, I, let me just think. Brendan O'Neill is really good on this. Abigail Schreier. Um, and I think I've heard some people on Barry Weiss's podcast discussing this. But um, what you have to do, in my view, to convince either gay family members or friends that trans is anti-gay I think you have to approach it as um, why can't uh, little Billy who wants to play with dolls and wear pink and sing show tunes to his family at Thanksgiving, um, why is it not okay that Billy is just an effeminate show tune singing pink loving little boy who's probably gay? When did that not like, when did we start saying 
it's not okay. He must be a girl. And likewise, you know, if you have a girl, now a lot of girls are tomboys because they don't like a lot of um, male attention. A lot of uh, people that I grew up with were tomboys and then became very feminine as they got older. Um, But if there's a girl who likes to play rugby or hockey and has only guy friends and, and cuts her hair short, why can't she just be a lesbian? Like, what's the problem? Why does she, quote, have to be a boy? Like, that's the anti-gay part. Like, why is medical intervention required to change somebody's body, to try to change everything about them? The way that people are created, you know, the human body is a, a beautiful, marvelous and miraculous thing. And the people that human individuals are attracted to we shouldn't be trying to medically intervene that out of them and i would also say that you know if 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 we're determining that it's not okay for these children to be gay or bisexual then what's wrong with um conversion therapy like aren't these two sides of the same coin like what is you you have to have a standard set of rules which they're not willing to play by right so you have to get them to define the rules and why it's not okay to just be a boy. And also why the parents who are taking their children for these um, horrendous interventions and castration and medical dependency, um, why is it not okay with them that they just have a gay, a gay child? Who's influencing them? Um, I think also if we take the social media contagion out of it, that would be really good. Um, so there's a lot of issues, but definitely I'm in agreement. The more more I read about it, I think it is very certainly anti-women. They're trying to erase women. Um, there's this creepy story about um, they want to try to implant uh, uteruses into trans men. Like, again, making men better women than women are. And it's really scary stuff. It's really um, virulent. It's really angry. Um, keep your eyes on it. And I think that those are probably the best, um, the best arguments that I can come up with. I hope that helps. And let's see, what time have we got here? We're good for another few questions. Um, we have Robert Fox says he saw a piece on the telly this morning where Trump is espousing many of the same things DeSantis has been touting over the last year or so. I think this is good for Trump to be prying the ball loose from the Florida governor and beginning to run with it. Do you think he's intentionally ripping off the platform from DeSantis after seeing how well received it is across the United States? Um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't really been focusing too much on the DeSantis Trump thing. Um, I really like what Ron DeSantis has been doing. I think he handles the media well. I think his policies were awesome for Florida. I think Trump tried to get a few shots in and it didn't really go over very well. But as much as I like so much of what Trump did, I'm not sure that he's going to get the nomination. I'm not sure that he should. Um, I don't think we really have enough time to go into the whole Trump DeSantis thing. I think also it's not good to focus on the individual guys. It's that the country is at stake. So you can't be thinking about the micro level um, and what this one said and what that one said and what Trump said and how DeSantis responded or not. Um, you have to be thinking about the big picture still. Uh, let's see. KD wrote, Laura, 
Mark is famously a cat person. What kind of pets are in the Cohen household? Well, I did have a cat growing up. That is the only pet I had. And my whole family was really, truly um, devastated when our cat originally named Kitty. I know it's like the most original name in the whole book, but I loved that cat as we all did. And um, I don't know if I could handle another pet death. Um, although I do know that a companion dog would be awesome for my special needs son, like a golden retriever or a lab. But my husband never had any pets growing up. That is Mr. C. So there are no pets in the Cohen household. Um, one time I even took my kids to a birthday party and this awful thing happened, which was the grab bag, you know, loot bags at the end of a birthday party for kids. And the loot bag, this awful mother gave goldfish <laughs> in a bag and that was the loot bag. So I came to pick up my son and um, the mom says, oh, you know, here's the loot bag. So I looked at her and I said, oh, you know, thank you so much, but uh, we really can't accept it because I never let my daughter have a pet. My uh, my oldest, I never had, she never had a pet. So none of the kids are going to have pets. And she's like, oh, I understand. So she goes into the kitchen and brings me another bag of goldfish. So the goldfish lasted about um, like a day or two before they needed to go and be flushed down the toilet. So I always say, and I don't even have plants. I have to let you know. So I have kids and I take really good care of my kids. I have a black thumb. I kill plants. So basically it's got to be good enough for everybody in the whole world that I take really good care of my kids. I feed my kids and I water them and I make sure that they grow, etc. But um, no pets. Um, I, again, I think a companion dog would be awesome. It's just, I know that it's a lot of responsibility and I barely can manage everything that is on my plate right now. So that was a good question. Um, okay. We're going to take one more and then I'm going to have to leave you. And, uh, oh, by the way, thank you for the re remarks. I think somebody mentioned, you know, send Mark love, blah, blah, blah. And of course, yes, thank you everybody for your prayers and for your good wishes. Um, as Mark um, convalesces. <clears throat> so let's see, this will be the last one for this afternoon. Um, and if I can, I'll come to some of them maybe in, in the links um, and feel free to carry on your conversation in the comment section. Um, and I'll pop in when I can over the weekend. Robert Stewart says the Daily Wire posted a conversation between Jordan Peterson and Victor Davis Hanson earlier this week. I didn't see that. JP mentioned that a study of the personal personality attributes of those who supported the despotic practice of Trudeau and the American woke mo movement versus those who did not. The most pronounced result was a 45% correlation between low verbal abilities and support for despotic controls. Um, I trust JP and expect that he is onto something. If so, the woke control of our educational institutions, Kate, to 12 through the universities amounts to positive feedback in favor of increasing totalitarianism. So I, yeah, that's a, look, the public education, public education system is, has been completely captured and you guys ought to be homeschooling or private school, non-woke private schools. Do not surrender your kids anymore to private schools. Government schools are really bastions of horrible indoctrination. I didn't, did not see that conversation. So I don't feel I can comment too, um, uh, closely on that. Obviously, these are very um, heavy-duty thinkers who I, I think quite highly of. Um, that that low verbal abilities um, leans to despotic controls. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Um, 
I think people, I, I don't know, again, I, I'd have to put a little bit more thought into that question. Um, because I think that, um, it's again, as Mark says, it's like, it's not left, right. It's about free, not free. So I don't know if it's necessarily that more educated, more highly verbal people are on the freedom side. I, I, I'm not sure I'm seeing evidence for that. So maybe I'm not uh, understanding the complete gist of, uh, the question in the comments. So maybe we'll return to that, uh, or I'll pop into the comments over the weekend and see if we can get a little bit um, more into that discussion. Uh, and I will certainly thank you for the heads up about that interview. I will definitely take a look. And if there's some good pieces, um, we'll put it into the links. Let me just think. Do we have a little bit of time? No, I should probably go uh, rescue Mr. C from downstairs because he is doing the bulk of the Sabbath preparation. As I said, I'm going to be lighting Sabbath candles at 5.03 and it is now almost four o'clock Eastern Standard Time. So I am going to leave you guys. I hope that you've enjoyed this live Q&A. It really has been fun being with you. We wish Mark all the best. We hope Andrew recovers and uh, cuts back on those uh, bug burgers and uh, bug cocktails, etc. You know, he probably just got some heebie-jeebies also from bringing around all those evil, awful guys in uh, Davos. So signing off, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you guys for being members of the Mark Stein Club and for the always excellent questions. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. And if you think of other questions, do throw them into the comment section and we will do our best to get back to you on some of those. Have a nice weekend. Bye you guys. Stein's Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. All rights reserved.